This evening, as we continue our look at some of the Psalms, we're going to look at Psalm 25. Psalm 25, another Psalm of David, and we've looked at several of the Psalms of David, including a couple already that, that we have uh, noted David's concern about his sin and, and his pleas for forgiveness, particularly Psalm 51 and Psalm 32. But now we learn, now we look at Psalm 25, and he's He's dealing with some of the same issues. Uh, we don't know what sin he's dealing with, but, but it's, it's not the way he starts his prayer. It's not the purpose of his prayer to confess as it was, say, in Psalm 51 or to, to talk about uh, the freedom he feels from guilt in Psalm 32. He, he's got another thing in mind. He's, he's dealing with something that's going on in Israel and to him, enemies that are oppressing them and the like. We notice in the second part of the prayer in particular that that's what he's dealing with. But there's something that hangs him up in this prayer. And that's what I want to focus on. And so our focus is just going to be on two verses, but let's read the entirety of the psalm. Psalm 25, In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame. But shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. And then the next two verses are our focus this evening. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you, O Lord, are good. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful toward those who keep the demands of his covenant. For the sake of your name, Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Who then are those who fear the Lord? He will instruct them in the ways they should choose. They'll spend their days in prosperity, and their descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from my anguish. Look on my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. See how numerous are my enemies, how fiercely they hate me. Guard my life and rescue me. Do not let me be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness protect me, because my hope, Lord, is in you. Deliver Israel, O God, from all their troubles. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, as we look at these words, we pray that we might understand you a little bit better and our relationship with you a lot better and our relationship with sin that we may no longer have to remember because it's been crucified in the cross of Jesus. We thank you for that assurance. Receive our prayers. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you work in our hearts. 
what you want us to hear from these words and how you want us to live in the coming week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Back in 2004, a romantic comedy film was produced entitled 50 First Dates. I actually never saw the film, but I do remember kind of the premise, and it, and it struck me at the time. The premise, premise of the movie is that, that Lucy was in a car accident, which left her with anterograde amnesia. And that inhibited her ability to form new memories. So every day, everything, was, everything in recent history was brand new to her. That became quite a predicament when Henry fell in love with her. And yet, every day he had to meet her again and try to form a lasting relationship. Some of us know a little bit about the strangeness of memory, especially if we have parents, grandparents that are dealing with memory issues, Alzheimer's and and other types of memory issues, to the point where maybe we need to introduce ourselves day after day. They don't remember quite who we are. Memory is an interesting thing. Without it, we'd never learn anything. Every event would be brand new. And yet, even with memory, people remember things differently. One incident is remembered differently by different people. In fact, Police officers will, will say, you know, if two or three people witness the same event and they, they basically describe the exact same thing, they must have colluded together because no one remembers the same event the same way. We remember some people and we forget others. We have selective memory. Parents know children have these, right? I know I did. I remembered the starting lineup and the batting averages, all the batting averages of the Detroit Tigers, but for, would conveniently forget to take out the garbage. But we also have selective memory of the past. We try to remember the good and forget the bad. William Willimon once wrote, We fill our rooms with the trophies, diplomas, rings, photographs, and blue ribbons of good memories. But deeply hidden in the center of our being is where we stuff the memories too painful to remember. Well, David the psalmist had some memories he'd like to have forgotten. Here he's praying, and he he starts out in the first few verses expressing his trust in God. In verses 4 and 5, he asks for God's guidance. Verses 8 through 14, he affirms God's faithful love. These are all good things to pray. And he knows them in his head, but it seems like his heart is somewhere else in the middle of this prayer. He's distracted by a situation. Verses 15 through 22 kind of cover that situation. There he describes himself as lonely, afflicted, troubled, anguished, in distress. Something's going on. Apparently it has to do with the nation of Israel. So David's probably king at this time. And he, because he says at the, the very end, redeem Israel, O God, from all their troubles. But David is not only oppressed by his enemies, he is depressed by his sin. 
And in verses 6 and 7, I think we get to the heart of the prayer or the heart of what's maybe holding him back, causing him to be hesitant in his prayer to God. Where three times we hear the key word, remember, remember. With the first remember, David asks God to recall his past acts of mercy shown to his people. I'm talking about God's past acts of mercy, not David's. God's God's covenant love that he has shown to his people, his covenant mercy he has shown. And then David secondly asks that his own sins not be remembered. And then finally, he asks that as an individual, he be remembered by God. Remember your covenant love? Remember your mercy? Remember not my sins, but remember me. That's the outline of those two verses. Note a couple of things. First, David knows what he believes. He's expressing it throughout the psalm. But deep down, the sins of his youth bother him. And we don't know exactly what that is. By youth, he could mean old, old memories of when he was a younger man and some of the indiscretions of youth. Or he could simply be talking about his more recent sins that were clearly childish, youth-like. But regardless, at this time of crisis, when he needs God desperately, the memory of his own sinfulness seems to be causing him doubts. Maybe we've been there. How often haven't we been in times of distress? Maybe it's not enemies. Maybe it's illness. Facing the death of a loved one, wondering how we're ever going to get through the next day, the next week, the next year. Perhaps it's certain of life's obstacles, or maybe it's during these last few months and the coronavirus pandemic and all that that has entailed. And, And maybe it's caused us to cry out to God, But then our memory is triggered, probably by Satan, of maybe a poor relationship with God, or maybe some particular sin, or at least our unworthiness to come to God, and we think, why should God listen to me? Look at who I am. Why should God listen to me? But not only does David have a memory of his sin, he has memory of of the covenant God made with the people of Israel. And the sequence is significant when we look at those three remembers. Because the first remember is David establishing God's own history of forgiveness, his history of mercy. He's reminding God as if God needs reminding of his loving kindness. The, The word here is chesed in the Hebrew a word specifically referring to the covenant love of God, his covenant mercies. It encompasses God's promise of forgiveness to Israel and to us today through that new covenant made with Jesus Christ. And so David starts out that way. Remember, Lord, who you are. Remember your covenant love to me as part of Israel. And then after establishing God's loving kindness, 
and his penchant to forgive, then David says, but remember not my sins. This is David's plea. This is often our plea. For what sins does David pray for divine amnesia? We don't know. We've already saw him deal with some of the particular sins in Psalm 51 and Psalm 32, the sins with Bathsheba and and her husband Uriah and the like. We don't know if this happened since then. We don't know if this is sins that happened before that. We don't know David's lingering sins or guilt, but we do know ours. William Willimon says, Every person has some secret room somewhere or a trunk hidden away in the attic, a closed casket buried deep in the basement of the soul, closed, dusty, cluttered with dark moments, memories we'd as soon forget. The older you get, the more memory you try to put in that room, that trunk, that grave. The older you grow, the more you have to forget. What is remorse but bitter memory? What is guilt but accusing memory? Scientists call it motivated forgetting. We try to put the painful memories behind us. The problem with that is that maybe they are unconscious for a while, but they're still in our memory bank and the deeper recesses of our memory. And and sooner or later, these bitter and accusing memories tend to surface. When they do, our first response is, is to... Forget about this painful past. To pretend it didn't happen. Our friends advise us, why dwell on the past? What's done is done. And it sounds easy. But the unconscious has no digestive tract. We can't simply swallow it and be done with it. Or maybe we've wronged someone else and we feel terrible about it. We can hardly look them in the eyes. They may have completely forgotten about it. And we hope they've put it behind them, but we're never quite sure. We pray that they would remember not. We wish to God that we could forget, that others would forget. And if we long for human forgetfulness, how much more do we long for God's forgetfulness? And that's David's ultimate prayer. Remember not, O God. However, little problem with this. We kind of pointed it out at the beginning of the service with Psalm 139. God is everywhere. God is all-knowing. God is everywhere present. He is all-seeing. You know, at least we're human, prone to let things pass. Wounds heal, amnesia sets in, and we get relative peace. But God remembers all. And He can't change Himself or change our past. In one of the Superman movies, Superman was too late to save a life. What's our hero going to do? Well, he spun around fast and spun the world in a reverse direction, so he turned back time. Not God. Thomas Aquinas said, even God Almighty cannot make the past not to have been. Is there then no hope for sinners? Scripture says that God does forget, which is his form of forgiveness. 
In Isaiah 43, verse 25, God says, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sin no more. That's God's promise. I remember your sin no more. And you know what? God's forgetting is a whole lot better than our forgetting. Because God is eternally conscious. There's no unconscious. It's not going to be something back there that he, he just simply forgot about and it's going to come to the surface when we're be, before the, the throne of judgment someday. God forgets and forgives perfectly. There's a, there's a passage, and I, I haven't been able to locate it recently, but I remember hearing about it once and, and, and reading it once where it talks about God taking our sins and literally the words mean hiding it between his shoulder blades. Now what can you see between your shoulder blades? Nothing. That's, that was that Old Testament picture. God no longer sees that sin. It's gone. When sin is forgiven by God, it's gone. So in his distress, David pleads for divine amnesia. Do we? You know, God sealed that Old Testament promise with a New Testament fulfillment in Jesus Christ. As surely as Christ died on the cross, so surely are our sins wiped out. But not only is God's forgetting powerful, but so is his memory. And so David goes on at the second part of verse 7 and says, not only remember not, but remember me. Remember me. David asks God to remember him as a person. To forget his sin, but to remember the sinner. A true friend, it is said, knows and remembers better than you do yourself. Yet doesn't remember you. Doesn't discreetly forgets the bad things about you. An Arab proverb puts it this way, A friend is one to whom you may pour out all the contents of one's heart, chaff and grain together, knowing that the gentlest of hands will take it and sift it and keep what's worth keeping and with a breath of kindness blow the rest away. A friend, true friend, knows and remembers you better than you know yourself and yet doesn't. Remember those things that you don't want remembered. In other words, a true friend forgets what you've said and done, but never forgets who you are. A true friend exercises selective memory in the most loving of ways. Isn't that exactly what David wants from God? Isn't that what each of us wants from God? God's selective memory... Remember not my sins, but remember me. Isn't that what we want? That God will love us with his covenant love enough to forget what we've done and left undone, but also to remember us? That God will forget our lack of prayerfulness, yet remember us when we pray in distress? That he'll forget our failure to love others? Yet remember us when others turn against us. That he will forget the sickness of our souls. Yet remember us when we're sick in our bodies. 
hanging on a cross, when one thief mocked Jesus, the other said, man, don't you fear God? We're getting what we deserve. This man did nothing wrong. And then he turned to Jesus, and what did he say? Remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. He was asking for Jesus' selective memory. When we realize what we deserve, we must do the same. Our last and deepest prayer is, remember not my sins, but remember me. And the good news of the gospel is that God does forget and remember The cross of Jesus Christ, based on God's covenant love, triggered God's selective memory. From that event on, we know without question that God has divine amnesia toward our sins, but a divinely omniscient memory of us as persons saved by Jesus Christ. So when we find ourselves in our loneliness and depression, agony and distress, calling out, remember not, remember me. Jesus answers, I remember you. And because I do, one day you will be with me in paradise. Praise God for his covenant love and his selective memory. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the covenant love that you showed to Israel and you continue to show to us ultimately through your Son, Jesus. We're thankful that even though Satan wants to accuse us, wants to continually throw our sin and our guilt in our face, that we can stand right up to him and say, well, God doesn't remember any of that because he's already paid for them. We thank you for that promise. Help us to live a life that seeks to do God's will, but when we mess up, to be able to pray for forgiveness and know that we are in a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ our Lord, in whom we, whose name we pray. Amen. Let's respond with a hymn based on this psalm. Remember not, O God. Let's stand and sing the three stanzas. Mm-hmm.